God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your love. And God, we thank you that things are better your way. Um, God, we might not always see and understand why you do things the way you do them, but God, we trust that your way is good. Your way is holy. Your way is righteous. And in the days, weeks, months, years to come, we will fully understand that your way is good. It's good for us. It's good for those around us. And so we just say thank you for that this morning. And God, just as we continue on the service, as we read scripture, as we talk about scripture, God, I pray that you will help us to hear from you this morning. God, you're God you don't want to hide from us. You don't want to hide your word from us. You don't want to hide your love from us. And so I pray that this morning we will see and hear and experience and taste of your love and your truth and your goodness and your righteousness. And I pray that everyone will get that special taste and special touch this morning so that we can know you're real, we know that you love us, and we can go out with your power and your love to do the good things that you call us to do, uh, to just enhance your kingdom. So God, we pray for that. And God, all the words that I share, may they not be my words, but may they be your words. Hide them behind the cross and help all of us to, to hear from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning as we're worshiping the Lord. Uh, I'm filling in for James this morning. He's a bus driver today. He's driving for the women's ministry, and so I get to fill in and preach for him. So we are continuing on in this series about stewardship. And so we've been talking about stewardship for a while now. It seems like forever we've been talking about that. Uh, but today we're talking about stewarding people and stewarding our relationships. So just to make sure we're on the same page about what does stewardship mean so we can make sure that we, we know what we're talking about this morning. Stewardship is the understanding that we are not owners of anything, but we are managers with the responsibility of managing the assets of God according to his will and for his glory. So that's what we're talking about today. And as we talk about stewarding people and stewarding our relationships, they're the most important things that we need to steward. At the end of the day, they're the most important things in our lives to think about. Because you think about it, your money, the money you have, it's not eternal. If you're anything like me, it goes away really quickly, right? It takes a lot of time to get the money, and it goes away really quickly. So our money's not eternal. Our time on earth is not eternal, right? One day, we're going to breathe our last breath, and so the time we have on earth doesn't last forever. Uh, our stuff's not eternal, right? It, stuff doesn't last forever. The only thing that is eternal that we're dealing with is each other, is the people that we know, the relationships that, w- that we have. And so it's so important to have this mindset of being a steward over these relationships and not rulers over these relationships. And so just thinking about that this morning, it's so important to look at God as the source of the relationships you have. The relationships you have, the friendships you have, the family members you have, they're not for your own purposes. They're for God's purposes. And he will bless you in that, right? And so when you think about life, and if you've ever been to a funeral before, if a family member gets up and shares about that, at the end of the funeral, they're not like, well, I really wish my loved one had more time so that they could have scrolled on TikTok a little bit more. Right? No one says that. No one says, I wish they had had more time so they could have worked harder at work, so they could have made more money that they could have passed on in the inheritance. No one says that. Right? They don't say, I wish they had a little bit more time so they could have watched the rest of the college football season. They'll never know who won the national championship this year. Right? People don't say that. They say at the end of someone's life in the funeral, I wish they had had more time so that we could spend it together. 
right? Because we understand at the end of the day, the most important thing isn't our time or our hobbies or our stuff or our money, it's each other. And so it's so important to make sure that that is our priority. How do we treat each other? How do we steward these relationships that God has given us for their good and for God's glory? So point number one of what we're talking about this morning is people are not to be used for our advantage, right? Think about it. If we're being honest, you, people that you know, like, it is very, very common that people use other people for their own benefit, right? People do it all the time. Everyone does it in so many different realms of life, right? You can look at, um, you know, popular people. They don't really bother making friends with people who aren't necessarily popular because they don't see how they're going to benefit them, right? We live in, a, live in a what can you do for me world, and so people out of selfishness don't bother to get to know people because they don't think they can do anything for them. And people who might not even be popular, they don't bother getting to know, they, they don't want to be friends with the popular people, except for the fact that they think they could benefit from the social standing of being friends with them, right? Companies, companies, they're hiring just to be like, they don't want to develop talent, they don't want to train up people, they just want to be like, who can I hire to increase our bottom line to make more money, right? People don't really want to go work for a company, they're working to make a paycheck. They're like, how much money can I make? And it's not bad. Like, I like making money. I assume you all do too. That's not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, and so there's all kinds of different realms in which people are using people for their own advantage. Friends, friends use each other to get what they want from them, get what they want out of them. Happens all the time. Parents use their kids to relive the glory days or help them to do things that they were never able to do. Kids use their parents to get stuff all the time, right? As we leave here, I bet anyone who has a kid is going to have their kid try to manipulate them to get what they want for lunch, right? That's going to happen. <laughs> and so that, that happens all the time, right? Spouses, they use each other to fill their emotional, physical, and monetary desires. And so selfishness abounds in every single level of relationship that we have. And that's not a good thing, that's not a holy thing, and that's not the Jesus way. And so we're going to look at a bunch of scripture this morning, but I want to start off looking at the book of Philemon. And so it's just a one chapter in this letter, and so we're going to read verses 8 through 11. It should be on the screen. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, this is Paul writing, and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and a prisoner, also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become both useful to you and to me. And so what's happening here in this passage? Paul is writing this letter, and he writes it to his friend Philemon. Uh, they're both Christians. Paul is basically the spiritual father of Philemon. He leads him to the faith. And the reason he's writing this short little letter, this one-chapter letter, is over this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave, right? And so he was his slave. And Paul is basically saying, hey, you got to set him free. If you're a Christian, if you want to follow Christ, you need to set him free from slavery. That's not okay. But Paul says, I'm not going to command you to do that because Paul wanted not just to, him to do the right thing, but to have his hearts and desires change and transform. And so that's just something for us as well. In our lives, God doesn't just want us to follow rules. He wants our hearts to be changed and transformed to do the right thing. And so that's what's going on here. And Paul is saying, hey, you ought to do this. You need to set him free from slavery because the problem that was happening, one, slavery is wrong, right? <laughs> That's the biggest problem. But two, Philemon's heart was that of looking at him as, hey, 
You're here to do what I want you to do. You're here to benefit me. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 you can't look at it from this selfish perspective. You need to be a steward of this relationship and not a ruler over this relationship. And so this is the beauty. And there are people online who will say, oh, Christianity never says slavery is wrong. I mean, Paul right here, says you ought to do this. And then Paul even goes so far as to say, not only is slavery wrong and you should set him free, but after you set him free, you should receive him back as a brother. Right? That's the high calling that Scripture has, is that not only should we get rid of these hierarchies that's there, but we should receive each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is mind-blowing in the equality that Paul is preaching and God is saying right here when it comes to all of that. But I think, obviously, hopefully none of you have slaves. If you have slaves, set them free. Like, I'll go where Paul didn't go. Set your slaves free if you have them. That is wrong. That is evil. Uh, there's no place that in the world today. Even though, I don't know if you know this, modern-day slavery is the third largest illegal crime in the country and in the world. So it still happens even though it's illegal. So let's, let's not let that happen. Philemon's mindset is what I want to talk about, though, because most of us aren't going to have slaves. Philemon's mindset was on what can he do for me? How can he benefit from me? How can this person over here be used for my purposes? And Paul is saying that's not how we should think about these as Christians. We shouldn't be using people for our own purposes, our own desires. And Paul's way of thinking is so different that this last verse, I want to go back and read it again, verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and me. So Paul's way of thinking is so backwards that before Onesimus was a Christian, Paul says he was useless, and again, never had a slave, never going to have a slave, but I assume people had slaves on plantations and stuff like that because they were useful. I would assume they were useful in doing work, right? It was evil what was going on, but there was a reason people had them to help accomplish these tasks. And so it was a selfish, wrong, evil mindset to have the slaves, but they were using them for purposes. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. He was useless before because he wasn't a Christian, and he couldn't serve in ministry and brotherhood like he can now. Paul is saying there is so much more value in an individual being able to serve as a Christian, to love as a Christian, and to be a brother and sister in Christ than any amount of stuff that someone could do for you. The useful thing, the helpful thing, is being able to love with the love of Christ and not to accomplish goals to build up your personal kingdom, your personal brand, or whatever it is. The whole point of being in relationship with people to have a good stewardship mindset of these relationships is at the end of the day, not for you to build me up, but for me to build you up. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. This idea that we have to think about things totally different and have a shift in our view of things. So I want to use an illustration to point this out and then kind of finish talking about this this part of the passage. Lord of the Rings. Anyone ever seen Lord of the Rings? Anyone ever read Lord of the Rings? Okay, good. The rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you've got homework. Go read or watch the movies or books. They're fantastic. I encourage you to go watch them. So in the Lord, which written by a Christian, J.R.R. Tolkien was a devout Christian. He was one of the biggest influences in C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian, who was one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the 20th century. So there's a lot of Christian themes in the Lord of the Rings. I encourage you to read them or watch them. Great. In the Lord of the Rings, there's this country called Gondor, uh, and Gondor hadn't had a proper king in centuries. Their king had gone off, and the, the heir to the throne had not been around for centuries in Gondor. And so instead of having a king, they had a steward. 
And the steward's responsibility was to lead the country, uh, to help the country to grow and develop, to do all the things they're supposed to do, to prepare for war if Mordor comes to fight and stuff like that. So the steward was there to do all of that in preparation for when the rightful king returns. And so when the rightful king returns, the steward is supposed to pass the mantle, pass the baton back to the rightful king. Say, I am just a steward over the people. I am to love them. I am to care for them. I am to build them up. I am to prepare them as a country for when the rightful king returns. In the movies and books, Denethor is the steward of Gondor. But like most people, when he gets a taste of power, do you think he wants to give it up? No. He holds on to that power. Instead of passing the baton to Aragorn like he's supposed to as the king returns, he doesn't give up his power. He sees himself instead of as a steward, as the king, and as the ruler, and it ends up costing people their lives. Things go really poorly. And so it's one of those things that we cannot see ourselves as the rulers of those around us. We must see ourselves as the stewards of those around us. And we have, just like the steward in Gondor was supposed to prepare for the return of the king, That is what we are supposed to do in the relationships that we have with people, with your family members, with your friends, with people on your teams, with your coaches, with your um, just everyone that you come into contact with, siblings, cousins, it doesn't matter. Everyone that you are in relationship with, your primary responsibility as a steward is to work in that relationship to prepare them for the return of the king, either to love them and help them to see the love of Christ and to get saved, or to prepare them to grow in their gifts, grow them in abilities uh, to, to serve God, right? Because that's what Paul was saying. Onesimus became useful to Philemon because now Onesimus could help Philemon in the ministry, right? He wasn't going to be his slave. He wasn't going to do whatever he wanted, but he could do so much as a brother in Christ to pursue the ministry that God had for Philemon and for Onesimus. And so we need to be a people that don't look at how can the people around us serve me? How can they do all this stuff for me? How can they help me? But we need to look at and say, I am a steward and God has blessed me with this relationship. How can I prepare them for the return of the king? How can I prepare them for the return of Christ so that they will be ready and excited and helping get ready for that day? That's the mentality that we have as a steward is not to have people serve us, but to serve them, which is point number two. We are called to serve, not use. And so it's one thing just not to use people if you just ignore people, but the, it's another thing altogether to go out of your way to intentionally serve those around you. And it's like, parents, you should serve your kids. Kids, you should serve your parents. Students, you should serve your teachers. Teachers, you should serve your students. And so in all different realms of life, we need to look for opportunities of how can we serve and love and care for those around us. It's not optional, right? It's not optional when it comes to Scripture to be servants and caring for those around us. As stewards, our goal should be like the person who has entrusted us with these relationships, Jesus. Jesus has entrusted you with all these different friendships, family members, relationships that you have. Jesus has entrusted that to you, and so you need to steward those relationships like Jesus would. And so let's read about Jesus' way of doing that. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So again, this is a worldly way of all this authority and lording it over them and stuff like that. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of these passages of Scripture that truly communicates the heart of Christ and the heart of his ministry. Right? There are certain things you can look at, like this is a core teaching of our faith in Christ, that we are here to serve and not to be served. If anyone ever had the right or authority to say, hey, serve me, hey, do this for me, it was Jesus. Right? Jesus, he is God. He is perfect. He has all authority in heaven on earth. But did he use that to command people to serve him? No. He was the one who was willing to serve. He was the one who was going out of the way to be a blessing to people. You think about Jesus in his ministry. He served his parents while he was young. He served his disciples. He served the poor. He served the sick. He served Peter, who was going to deny that he even knew him. He served Judas, who was going to betray him. Jesus went out of his way in every relationship that he had to serve people and to build them up. Right? This is a very high calling that we have to serve as Jesus served. And you think about this, this stewardship mentality of serving. It, it makes sense in every other aspect of things. If one of you were to give me access to $100,000 to be steward over that account and to make money on that account, right? if you were to do that, then my goal would be to serve you, to take that money, to multiply that money, to make some money. You know, And I would make purchases to help with those investments to help that account to grow, right? But the goal would be for me to help you grow that account as a steward over that. Because if you gave me $100,000 and I went and bought myself a Lamborghini and drove it around town, you'd be after my head, right? Because I'm using that for my own selfish purposes instead of using the, what you have entrusted to me as a steward for your purposes and to serve you and to grow you. And so we need to have this mentality with the relationships we have with people. We are to go out of our way to serve them and to build them up and not to have people be used for our own selfish purposes. So I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, or sorry, I'm going to read one passage of Scripture and then one quote from Aristotle. So this would have been a very common quote that was uh, in way of thinking in the Greek realm at the time. So in the realm where Jesus was living, Paul was writing, this, the Aristotle quote will be important. But let's start with the Bible passage because it's a beautiful picture. Now, Paul is specifically talking to husbands here, but I think there's something we can all learn and understand uh, from a stewardship mentality from this passage. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's a beautiful picture. We're going to break this down in a second. But it's a beautiful picture of the love that Christ had and how he gave himself to the church to serve the church, to build up the church. Right? So this is the Christ-like way of saying to love and to serve, love and to serve, love and to serve. And here is the worldly way of thinking in terms of this household cold, household cold as they're called, code. The male by nature is superior. The female inferior the one rules, the other is ruled. The principle, this principle of necessity extends to all mankind. 
I am not advocating for this for the record. This is not a good thing. This is a very worldly and bad thing, right? Jesus is talking about his love and his love for the church and how that's what we're supposed to model, to give and to serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. And here, this worldly thinking is is specifically saying here, the man is to rule over the woman and everyone needs to follow this. It is mandatory and necessary, right? And if you put away the the man-woman part of it, the concept of someone is supposed to rule over the other person. One person's supposed to be in charge, use other people for their benefit, for their advantage, and the other person, that's just their lot in life. They've got to do whatever's told, and they're supposed to be there to build other people up. And that's not a good way of thinking. And you might say, well, that's just Aristotle thousands and thousands of years ago. Hop online today. Go listen to Andrew Tate. You're going to hear the exact same thing just in a 20th century mindset and stuff like that. And you can flip it in today's world, hyperfeminism. You know, like originally feminism was like, women should have the right to vote. Yeah, of course women should have the right to vote. But in today's world, hyperfeminism basically reverses this and says that the female by nature is superior and the male is inferior. And so this isn't just some old concept that no one believes anymore. This is stuff that people still talk about today from different perspectives, that this person is superior, this person's inferior, your lot in life is just to do all of this, to build them up, to make them better, and all of that stuff. The Christ-like mindset is no, We don't use people for our advantage. We use our lives to serve people and to build them up. And I want to talk about how Christ did that for a second. So you look at exactly what Christ did. Uh, How many years did Jesus do ministry here on earth? Anyone know? Three. Good job. (laughs) Someone said it. Three years of ministry. And so obviously today, this is a direct connection to the ministry of Jesus, right? This is a continuation of Jesus's ministry. But in terms of how long Jesus walked on the planet teaching and making disciples and doing all of those things, there was three years of his public ministry. Anyone know how many people were still following Jesus after he rose from the dead? How many people were still committed to the cause? Anyone know? 120. 120 people, three years after Jesus' ministry, and as he's wrapping it up, 120 people. Our church averages 120 people. And so we're one church of many. There's thousands and thousands of really good church churches in the world. And so you look at Jesus' ministry, he only reached 120 people, but 50 days later, because he gave his life to the church, he gave his life to the disciples, he served them, he built them up, and he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. 50 days after he finished his ministry, over 3,000 people were in the church. And today, there are billions of people who are Christians. And so Jesus' own personal ministry that he had while he was going around only reached 120 people. But because he gave himself and served the church, the church has been built up. Again, not that the church is better than Jesus. The church exists for Jesus. But in terms of earthly influence, like Jesus never made it to America. And so it's like the vast reach of his ministry has grown because of how he chose to serve and to give himself to build up the church. And so that's the mindset that we need to have in relationship with one another. Like, not just husbands. I think this is particularly true of husbands. And so husbands, just think about that. Like, your calling in life is to love and serve your wives in a way to build them up, to strengthen them, and to make sure they have the time and ability to thrive. Again, it says to present them without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so my responsibility to Christine, because she's my wife, is to make sure I am serving her, I am loving her, I am doing things around the house to make sure she has time to read the Bible, that she has time to pray, that she has time to be involved in church ministry, that she has time to do things, the ministry that God has called her to do. If I'm not enabling Christine to do that, 
I have failed as a husband, right? And I think that is true, again, it's specifically to husbands, but I think this principle can apply to all of the relationships that we have, to our spouses, to our kids, to our parents, to our friends at school, to people on our teams. Like, we should be serving people in a way that we want to build them up to be even greater and better than we are. I think about uh, 10 years ago, I was a youth pastor at a different church, and whatever, for whatever reason, they loved to play Ultimate Frisbee. That was their go-to game. And so we play Ultimate Frisbee a lot. And I, I would tell the youth, like, my goal is to help you get so good at this that you're better than I am at it. And so that is a mindset that we should have, because we shouldn't be seeking to build our own kingdoms, our own glory, our own brands. We should be seeking to bring people alongside us that we know and to build them up and strengthen them and help them to succeed in all that is done, because that is what Christ has done for us. The reason today, this morning as a church, that we're able to thrive and succeed is because of the way that Jesus loved and served us. And so the people around you should thrive because you have a stewardship mindset that Jesus has put you in these different relationships for a reason so that you can build them up, encourage them, and help them to grow in their faith. And so I want to give two kind of illustrations or examples of this. Uh, One is an earthly example. One is a spiritual example. Anyone know who Archie Manning is? former NFL quarterback, uh, played primarily with the New Orleans Saints. And he was a good quarterback. Anyone who has a 10-plus years, a quarterback in the NFL, they're good, right? But he wasn't the greatest of all time. He wasn't like this world beater. And so he's, he's a good quarterback, not a great quarterback in the NFL. But he must, and I don't know much about him, but he must have lived his life in a way with a stewardship mindset because he wasn't just pursuing his career and neglecting those around us because he had three sons and two of his sons went on to have NFL careers. His first son, Cooper, didn't make it to the NFL, but Peyton Manning and Eli Manning both became NFL quarterbacks. Both of them won two Super Bowls. So as Archie Manning was having his successful career, he was doing something to invest in his sons, seeing himself as a steward over them and their responsibilities so that he could help them to grow, help them to develop, and help them to have an even better career than he had. And so that's the kind of mentality that we want to have. We want to invest in people to help them grow and to thrive and to flourish. And even Cooper Manning, who didn't end up being an NFL quarterback, his son is Arch Manning, who is just the number one recruit out of high school going into college and is quarterback at Texas now, and he's probably going to have an NFL career. So Archie Manning did something to invest in people and to invest in his sons to help them succeed and to grow. He served them instead of just being like, ah, tag along for my career and watch me be great. Other example of this spiritually, uh, so I was a missionary in Cambodia in 2013 into 2014, uh, but before I went then, I went for two months between my junior and senior year of college. So while I was in Cambodia, I worked with an organization called the Hard Places Community. And at that time, in 2010, they didn't have any of their own ministries. They partnered with other organizations to do ministry. And so it was while I was there that the Hard Places Community launched their first ministry. Me and a couple other summer interns, along with uh, Allie Mellon, the director, started a kids club program. It was basically like a VBS. And so we would have a Bible lesson, we would have snacks, we would have games, we'd have all kinds of stuff that we would do. And we would go four days a week to do this Bible club. Uh, and then the cool thing is that was, we're in 2023, 13 years ago is when that started, and it's still taking place today. So it's this really cool thing that took place. Also, it was funny, like the director, Allie Mellon, when we're looking at where to start it, she's like, we should start at this Buddhist temple. And I was like, okay. So we started a Christian kids club at a Buddhist temple that still goes to this day. So I think that's cool. But what I want to talk about mainly is the missionary. In those three years between uh, when I went as an intern and when I came back as a missionary, the amazing things that God had done 
was beautiful and wonderful. And even I still keep in touch, the things that they're doing today is amazing. And it's cool because the missionaries who are there, Ali, uh, Yvonne, so many different of these missionaries who were there, they had a stewardship mindset to this ministry. They didn't go to Cambodia to be like, okay, we're going to be the great people, we're going to do amazing, we're going to build up our own ministry, people are going to love us, people are going to be like, oh, look, you're so good. They, that wasn't their mindset. Their goals, they went into Cambodia, they developed the Cambodians to lead the organization. So when I was there in 2010, the two Cambodians that were translators, uh, Panya and Visna, Fast forward 13 years later, they're ones who are leading the organization. Panya is one of the leaders of the Hard Places community. Uh, he, he is the one leading investigations into cases of sex trafficking. He's the one doing interviews with kids who have had to go through that hardship. He's the one reporting to the police about what has happened and seeing people arrested. He's the one doing it because people came and invested in him, and so he's having more of an impact than any of the missionaries ever would have had on their own. And Visna, he, he's now a worship pastor at one of the largest churches in Phnom Penh. And so it's because people invested in them, not to say, hey, I'm going to come, come alongside me, look at these great things I'm going to do, even in ministry. It's like, no, let me come alongside, love you, care for you, disciple you, have a steward mentality of how can I help you to grow in your faith and one day be ready when, when the return of the king comes. How can I make sure you are ready for that day? right? And so we need to have a stewardship mentality. We're helping others to grow and develop in their gifts and abilities, even beyond what we are. Point number three, we are to be stewards of our families, our spiritual families, and the poor. The Bible is clear that we're supposed to love and serve and have this stewardship mentality with all of our relationships, but these three areas, the Bible puts particular emphasis on, that we need to love and serve our, our families, our spiritual families, and the poor. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's not optional to care for our families. It is mandatory that we care for and help and support our families. This is not something that we're like, should we do this? Should we not do this? Uh, and so as we go, and this includes family members we don't like, right? This includes family members we don't like, uh, because I know we all have those family members we don't particularly care for. If they have needs, it is our responsibility to care for them. Now, I don't think this is saying that we need to enable sin and sinful living and sinful lives. Uh, I think about a situation when I was doing homeless ministry. Uh, I was in my early 20s. There's this guy in his mid-20s, and, you know, I was talking to him one day. I was like, what do you got going on today, Eric? And usually, like, homeless people don't have a ton going on in a particular day. And so I asked him, he's like, oh, I'm getting together with my mom today. And I was just like, you're getting Because oh. I, I was trying to, like, make sense in my mind. Like, why don't you live with your mom? Like, I don't understand. Like, what, what's going on in this scenario? And so he was just opening up, and he was, Eric was someone who was addicted to drugs, and his mom was trying to, and she was a Christian, and she tried to figure out how to maintain this balance of loving and caring for her family, uh, but not enabling him to live in sin. And so she basically, she would get together with him semi-regularly, because uh, she still cared about him. She would pick him up, bring him home, let him shower, let him get a change of clothes, let him get whatever he wanted, take him out to eat wherever he wanted to go, but she told him, as long as you're living in sin, as long as you're living uh, under the addiction of drugs, and you're not trying to change, you cannot stay in this household. And so she was willing to do everything she could to help him, but she also knew that helping him wasn't just providing for his physical needs, it was providing for his spiritual needs. 
And I can't imagine being a mom in that situation, trying to, to put down, to tell him he couldn't stay there anymore. But I think it was the right thing for her to do because how we love and care for our families is both from a physical standpoint. It is not optional to care for people from a physical standpoint, but we also must keep in mind the spiritual development. Again, we're preparing them for the return of the king. And so how are we doing that? And so it is mandatory that we care for our families. It's also mandatory that we care for our spiritual families, aka the church. James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so when it talks about brother and sister here, it is talking about brother and sister in Christ. This is talking about a fellow Christian, someone doing life with. So it's like, think about we're in church together this morning. That is us. And so there is this clear command from Scripture, if we want to be a good steward of the relationships that God has given us, then it is mandatory that we care for the physical needs and spiritual needs of people that we do life with here at church. And so this is a reality. This is one of those things. If you have a need, let us know. Like, let people in the congregation know, let us know, because we, it is our responsibility to help care for you when you have a hard season in life that you're going through. But the reverse is true. If you are here and you know that there's someone in the congregation, someone in the church, a brother and sister in Christ who has a physical need and you can help meet it, it is your responsibility to help meet that. This is not an optional thing. In fact, the next verse, I don't have it on the screen for you, but James talks about if we don't care for the physical needs, if we're just like, oh, okay, I'll pray for you, and then don't pray for them and don't help them, then our faith, James says, our faith might not even be real in Christ. Like, we might not have true faith in Christ if we're not willing to put our money where our mouth is to, to help where help is needed for our biological families and for our spiritual families. They're not optional, they're mandatory. And then I'll read Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. I don't know about you, but honoring God, I want to honor God with everything that I do. With every breath that I have, I want to honor God. And the Bible is clear that part of honoring God is caring for the needy, being kind to the needy. There's actually over 2,000 verses in the Bible that in some way, shape, or form talk about helping and caring for the poor. This is not an optional thing in Christianity. This is a mandatory thing according to Christ. And if you read Matthew, I'll leave this to you. You can do this on your own. Go read Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus talks about caring for the least of these. Obviously, as Christians, we are saved by faith in Christ and faith alone. That being said, Jesus says part of the judgment of us will be how did we care for the least of these? How did we care for the poor? That's part of what Jesus is going to look at. So you can figure that out with Jesus on your own, but go read Matthew 25 later. Caring for the poor is essential to our faith in Christ. And I'm not saying this to say giving money to the poor is the answer. I'm not saying that because money often, it might be a short-term need, but it's not a long-term solution. And so I'm talking about we need to invest and care for people on a regular basis to help them get to the point where they need to be so they can have an independent lifestyle, living on their own, working a job, being a productive citizen, right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not just saying, oh, someone's on the side of the road. It is mandatory that you give them money. It's not. I, I almost never give people money who are asking for money and stuff like that. I don't do that. Uh, but I am saying we need to think about how can we love them with the love of Christ? How can we serve them? How can we steward that relationship that God has given us to care for the poor? And I'm just going to share some quick statistics with you and help us paint the picture of how even if just 
a handful of Christians went out of their way to take caring for their poor seriously, the amazing godly impact and difference that would make in our world. So in the United States of America, there's just under half a million homeless people, just under half a million homeless people in the U.S., and there's about 50 million Christian families, not Christians, about 50 million Christian families. So we're saying you got your family to work together in this. That means if about less than 15% of Christian families made it their goal to honor God by helping care for the homeless in some way, shape, or form, that homelessness would be eradicated in our country if 15 people put in the work, energy, and effort to do that. And I'm not necessarily saying let them live in your house. Uh, I'm saying what you need to do is love them in a way, help them get connected with the resources that they need, help them get connected with food that they need, help them find a job, help them get to that job because, you know, you got to work a job for a while before you get a paycheck and you need a couple paychecks before you can get a place to live. And so it's hard to get off the streets, but part of our responsibility should be praying and seeking. How can I be a part of that process? Because God says, as a steward of the relationships that I have, part of my responsibility is to help care for the poor. Another one, just another set of statistics for you, is there's 400,000 kids in foster care system. 400,000 kids. So that means if less than 10% of Christian families went out of their way to care for foster kids in need, there would be no more kids in foster care. There'd be zero kids in foster care if kids went out of their, or if Christian families went out of their way to support them and care for them. Uh, this is an urgent need in our country and in our world to care. And they're kids. They're vulnerable kids. They didn't do anything to be in these situations. And so it, it is vital that we honor God and be good stewards of the relationships that we have to care for the poor and care for kids in foster care. And I'm not shaming our church. Like, I don't know if you know this, but our church, there's off the top of my head, four families that I know of that have gone out of their way in the past couple years to be a part of fostering and adopting. And so like our church is doing pretty good. Uh, There's four that I can think of off the top of my head, but why not four more? Why not four more? Why not have four more families investing in a kid in foster care uh, to be good stewards of the resources and time and relationships that we have to care for the poor? Um, And I'll, I'll give the hard teaching here. If you don't feel like you have time to do something like that, look at how you spend your time. Like, you probably do. You don't have to be perfect, but it is something, it is hard. It is difficult to do things like this. Uh, but it's worth it, and it's honoring to God. So look at how can you honor God and be a good steward of those relationships. So I want to wrap up here with kind of an illustration, another illustration. Just thinking about, as humans, in all aspects of life, we love to have control. I'm one of those people, I don't mean to do it, but if I ride in the car with you, if I'm in the passenger seat without meaning to, I grab that little handle and I'm holding on. Like, I'm just one of those people that I grab that handle. It's like, I like to have some sort of control. And if you're driving a little crazy, like, don't look at my foot because I'm, like, trying to tap the brake that's not there to get you to slow down and not hit the car in front of you. I, I like to have control. You like to have control. I'm one of these people that between my late teens into my mid-20s, I flew a lot. And every time the plane took off and every time the plane landed, I was freaking out because I have no control over the situation. I could die and I wouldn't have any say in the matter, right? And especially when you consider that 50% of pilots have admitted to falling asleep while flying before, kind of terrifying, right? Uh, But here I am. It's fine. No, I didn't die in a plane. But I like to have control. And I think if we're being honest, we like to have control in our relationships as well. We like to have control over the relationship we have with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents, with our friends, with our teammates. You can name it. All 
Every level of relationship there is, we like to have control and to be in control. And I think we've all been in a situation where a particular relationship that we're in, whether it's family or friend, has not been going well, and we start stressing out because the relationship's falling apart, something's going wrong, and it's kind of crumbling before our lives. And so we try to maintain control uh, in that relationship. So I want to, here, here's what I want to do. First, I expect you all to be astounded and just amazingly impressed at my abilities to make a person out of Play-Doh, right? I, I know you can tell, I'm just so good. You're so very impressed at my abilities. Uh, you should know how, how artistically and crafty-oriented the staff is because I'm so good at this. Ask Pastor Nina, the kid's pastor, to cut out a circle. You'll just be so impressed at her ability to cut out a circle. Uh, and so what we do is we start stressing out about these situations, these relationships that we have, and we're losing control. Things aren't going as supposed to. And so what we do is, is by nature, we start holding it tighter. We start clinging more and more. We start squeezing, and we're just trying to solve the problem. And next thing we know, the relationship is just falling apart. It's slipping through our very hands. Again, whether it's a spouse, it's a kid, a relationship at work, Whatever it is, the tighter we're grabbing onto that relationship, the tighter we're squeezing to try to make it right, the tighter we're squeezing to try to make everything perfect, it's just going through our hands. And so we have to stop trying to be the ones in control because we're not the rulers over the relationships we have. Right? We have to remember we are stewards of these relationships, and God is the one who's in control of all these different relationships that we have. And so instead of doing that, what we need to do is take these relationships that we have, whether they're going good or whether they're going bad, we need to take them, instead of trying to maintain control and holding on tight and squeezing on, be like, no, this can't change, this can't go wrong, we just, instead of doing that, hold out our hands open-handed to God. God is the one who can take care of that relationship better than you can. God is the one who can perfect that relationship. He can accomplish his goal, his glory, his purposes in that relationship. And so instead of trying to squeeze and maintain control over it, we just open-handedly hold out that relationship to God. We pray for it. We serve that individual. And God will craft and mold that relationship in better ways than we ever could have dreamed. And so we have to realize that in these relationships we have as stewards— God perfects them. God does the work, not you, not me, because often when we meddle with them, we only make things worse. And so I'm going to take a moment just to give you some time to pray. I think we're going to have some just instrumental music playing in the background. And so I just want you to take a moment and just think about one, maybe two friendships, relationships, whatever, people that you know that you're in relationship with. Take a minute and think about them. Maybe it's not going well. Maybe it's going great. But I want you to think about and pray about this morning, how can you be a better steward of that relationship? How can you be a better steward to that spouse, to that kid, to that parent, to that teammate, whoever it is, how can you be a better steward of that relationship to help it to grow and to flourish, to help them to grow and to flourish? And I I pray that you'll ask God this morning to give you ways this week that you can serve them, that you can go out of your way to build them up and not expect anything in return, right? Christ, he didn't get much in return from us, right? But he gave everything for us, even though we just returned with rebellion in response to that. And so I'm just gonna give a moment of a minute, two minutes, whatever the spirit kind of leads for silence. I encourage you, you can come to the altar and pray. You can pray just sitting as you are in your seat. If you wanna kind of like get on your knees and turn around in your chair and pray, 
you can do that. But I just encourage you to take time to pray. Uh, and we're physical creatures. And so sometimes putting ourselves in a different physical posture can help us to focus and to pray. So I encourage you, come forward if you want to come forward. Pray in your seats if you want to pray in your seats. And then I'll close this in prayer in a minute. I just pray that you will be with us. And God, we, we know that you are. You desire to come close, to be close to us, to love us. And right now, just as we think about so many people that we know, and maybe those relationships aren't going great, maybe they aren't what they used to be. And God, I pray that right now we'll stop trying to maintain control, that we'll stop trying to manipulate and do things in our own efforts and our own energies. But God, I just pray that as everyone is thinking about these people, that you will be the one who comes in and intervenes with your goodness, with your love, with your grace, with your mercy to make these relationships be used for your glory and your purposes. God, we, we trust you as a good God, as one who can make things better, right? Not just make things what they were, but you can make things better. And so I just ask that you will do that this morning. I pray that each one of us will know uh, some things we can do this week to love like you love, to serve like you serve, to not expect to be rulers in situations, to not expect to be the ones in control and in authority. But God, that we can humble ourselves to be servants this week. God, may that be our heart. May that be our desire. And Holy Spirit, fill us with your spirit so that as we go out, that we will be the first ones to serve in a situation and that those around us can see your love, your grace, your mercy, and your servant's heart. So God, accomplish your will this morning in us and glorify your name through all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.